As the official healthcare provider of Minnesota United, Alina Health is focused on keeping our loons in top condition. And with expertise in orthopedics, sports medicine, heart care, and more, Alina has the team to keep your family in the game too. The experts at Alina Health take the time to get to know you as a whole person, helping you achieve wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. It's an altogether better kind of healthcare. Learn more at alinahealth.org. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Sound of the Loons. We are getting closer to the holiday season here as we're winding down. I think we're like halfway through December. We finally got some snow. The temperature's in the 20s. I haven't been complaining, though, because it's been really nice out. Having been a Minnesota native, I'm still not any more accustomed to or used to or liking the, the cold weather. But I do have Assistant Technical Director Hank Stebbins on with me. And I should say this. I, I want to actually double check this. When you when I call you Hank, the assistant technical director, can you sort of give people like a lowdown on what that means and how much on the soccer side versus like the behind the seeds side, the legal side? I mean, what does that mean um, in the Minnesota United speak? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, right now, it's roster management, and that's what it's been since I've been here. And it's a, it's a larger role right now due to the transition we're going through. But it's a combination of technical soccer side and also roster construction. So my primary purpose, my background is is as an attorney. Um, and so it's to negotiate deals uh, on favorable terms for Minnesota United uh, and to get the best players possible and to uh, do that in a way that helps us maximize our spending um, so that we can build an effective team. I'll also say the title is an interesting one. Um, I was talking to my wife about it the other day because we used to go to parties and she'd be like, yeah, my husband's an attorney. Like he's a partner at his law firm. And like, that's great. Right. People would think, oh, so this guy's got his got it together. And now she says he's a assistant technical director. And she's like, people think you're like you work in computers or something like it's a little bit different. And so uh, she doesn't love the title. I'll just say that. Um, but yeah, it really is Ross. I think in other American sports, it's similar to being an assistant general manager in charge of roster construction. I think that's the simplest way to put it. Well, that's what I was going to say, because actually, if she followed it up with assistant technical director with Minnesota United, you know, a professional soccer team, then I feel like everybody at the party would be like, wow, this guy's got a cool job. Like no, no offense to attorneys out there, but it doesn't always sound as flashy you know, as like maybe something that's in anybody that has a job that's somehow connected to college or pro sports seems to think you have the coolest job in the world. So she's got to throw that in there a little bit. And, you know, like my husband is in finance and I'm like, oh, he just like does spreadsheets and stuff. And my husband hates it when I say that, because that's not really what he does all day. But right. so I, I understand that. But I think if she throws that in there, it might liven the party up a little bit. Think of all the questions you're going to get. Whether you want them or not, you're going to get them at the party. You're going to be the life of the party. 
Yeah, I'll tell her you said that, uh, and hopefully it, it will go further. But she still like she still says even if it's from Minnesota United, people think you're like the computer guy, which I think is incredible. Our like the guy that helps us with tech support, uh, Alec is incredible and and a huge asset for us and a big part of the organization. So I think that uh, there's a way I can spin it for sure, and I'll, I'll try to do a better job. Yeah, we're not taking anything away from anybody that is tech savvy because not I'm, at all. And I mean, those if the, we wouldn't be able to exist and function, especially with these Zoom calls and everything else, websites, everything's digital these days. So we're not taking anything away from those folks in any way, shape, or form. So I want to ask you then: you're building the roster from a legally standpoint. Obviously, you just said financially, what makes the most sense for the team from a, a number standpoint, but also the product on the field. What is your soccer background? Or, or even did you have any prior experience in professional sports when you talk about contracts? Because that's very different than other things in law. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, yeah, so my soccer background is, you know, I grew up playing my whole life. I, uh, I played as a youth player, played in college uh, at a number of different schools, graduated from the University of Indianapolis, played there. Uh, got done, spent time playing the PDL as well uh, for a number of different teams in Washington, Vermont, and then got into coaching immediately after that. So I was a, uh, an assistant coach at Georgia State University uh, and then at Oregon State University. And while at Oregon State University, I went to law school um, at a university nearby. So I was a graduate assistant and, and um, went to law school at the same time. And so when I got out of law school, uh, I always had an interest in working in uh, professional soccer. And that's why I took the path that I did. And so when I got out of law school, I ended up uh, staying connected to soccer through MLS player relations and ended up doing a number of deals for players with agents. So stayed uh, in the game representing players when they would negotiate their initial contract with an agent. And I think that's something a lot of people, uh, fans of the game, don't always have a sense of is how, Many agents, soccer players often have when they're looking to do a move because they'll often say, you have a mandate in this country, you have a mandate in this country, you have a mandate in this country, which means I'm looking for a move abroad. So I'm going to take agents from all these different countries and each one is going to have the right to represent me in that respective country. And so that can get complicated. And so I worked on some of those deals and also just deals for players within the league that are looking to sign with their first agent and maybe um aren't as educated on the subject so stay connected to the game that way i uh, ended up serving as outside counsel for uh, a couple of usl teams and mls team and that's how i connected ultimately with minnesota united and ended up in this role um and there was a second part to your question other than my background just talked about myself um oh, that's and great. i'm, for, that I'm, I'm forgetting the second part People want to know the behind the scenes stuff, but that's what I was going to ask you is if you, I mean, think the second part of my question, I forgot too, but I think it was, had you were, have you worked in professional sports in the, this capacity before, which you also just answered. I got to ask you, Oregon state, like, how do yeah. you feel about the final four appearance? Like, did you know Asani Dotson when he was there? Like, give me a little lowdown on that. I mean, they don't make it to the final four very often. Yeah. Go beefs. I'll say this. When I started in 2012 at Oregon state, they'd made the NCAA tournament one time. In their history and since then i'm not going to get it exactly right but i think they've been four or five times so i'll take i'll take i deserve zero credit for that but i'll take all the credit uh hassani is a player that came in actually the year his freshman year was right after i left so we had identified him and we're in the process of bringing him in uh, and then i remember actually going back to watch another player they had there 
when I was practicing law, because this was a player that had contacted me about helping him with an agent. And I remember seeing Hassani and saying, that guy is really good. And somebody told me, oh, he's he's not a huge like professional prospect. And obviously that was wrong. He's been he's been an incredible prospect. Um, but yeah, I mean, Oregon State's done very well. And I think a lot of credit is owed to Terry Boss, who's now an assistant at Austin FC. He was an assistant when I was at Oregon State. He took over the program and did incredibly well uh, and, and kind of brought them to the forefront of the national conversation in college soccer. He left last year to take the position at Austin, but they've continued on the same trajectory. And they have some really interesting players who are, are uh, certainly on our draft board. And I think we'll be on a lot of teams draft boards. Yeah. I think, um, I think that just is like proof in the pudding that, you know, don't listen to what anybody tells you as far as like, as a player, like if like, yeah. oh, you're never going to make it, Oh no, you're not destined to do that. You know, this level, that level, whatever. I mean, you just never know and like teams needs and how people thrive at the next level and what they do to get there. And so, yeah, I mean, I always think when, when we've had a lot of Academy kids on this podcast throughout the year, and I just love it because they can tell you all of that along every step of the way. And then you have someone like Zarek Valentine on the podcast who's been there, done that, you know? So I just think that's a, a good lesson learned, right? If someone's like, Oh no, he's not, he's not a professional prospect, you know, and it's not, even, sorry, my, my dog is using a chew toy that has a squeaker in it right now. So if the microphone, I can't hear it. It's not, okay, it's good. not, okay, good. I promise. okay, good. Of course they find like the squeaker somehow in the thing. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's going to get annoying. But so, yeah, I, I think that's a good, a good lesson learned that you can't. Um, and as a scout too, or as an organization, like, you know, explain to us, you know, that transitioning into the roster build a, it's complicated enough to build MLS rosters and, any roster professionally, but MLS especially has quite a few rules and regulations. And we can dive into that a little bit in some sort of fun way um, for the listeners, but also like to, as a team and a club, how do you much do you lean on individuals and scouts and other people's opinions when you still at the end of the day have to sort of develop your own thoughts and processes when you're building a quality roster? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think everyone does it a little bit differently. And what I'll say is, um, you have to trust your scouts to a point um, because they're out there watching games and they're doing that work. But for us, our model now is to aggregate input from a variety of scouts. So I'm never just going to have one scout watch a player and say, this is the guy, go get him. That has to be cross-referenced with multiple scouts. And it also has to be cross-referenced from a, uh, an underlying statistical perspective in terms of the player's physical data and his on-ball data. Uh, for us to really make a, a decision. And I think with Hassani, <clears throat> it is such a good example of a player, though, who the, the counter is you do, you have to trust yourself as the scout. If you're the person watching the game, you have to come to us and say, like, I truly believe that that this kid is, is going to be successful in the future. Uh, and at that time, when I saw him, I, I did see that, right? But you have to develop that confidence, I think, as a scout over time to say, hey, I, I trust my instincts. I've done this before. I have the experience. And, and this player is certainly good enough. And also as a player, as you said, like you have to have the confidence in yourself to say, I, I can do this. And the fact is, I, I tell um, people in our building this all the time, and I would tell fans this too, like often in soccer, I think, especially in the United States, right, there's this idea that you have to have some higher knowledge to like say if a player's good. And the reality is like, if you're watching a game and someone's winning every header and advancing the ball down the field and creating opportunities and taking chances, and that's what Asani did in that game, like you don't need to be a rocket science to say like, you know what, that guy's probably pretty good. 
-hmm. or that player is probably pretty good and we should pursue them. And so I think that was one where sometimes an expert tells you like, oh, this other guy's better. And I'll say this, the other guy I went to watch that day is not in the league and he's not in the USL either, but Hassani is. So from every perspective as a player, as a fan and as a scout, I think there's value in trusting what you see. And certainly you want to cross-reference with data and you want to cross-reference with another scout. But if you see something, don't overthink it. If a player is good, you can generally tell, right? <clears throat> yeah. And I think what's crazy about that is like Hassani was the 31st overall pick, you know, and um, hence why he wears the number 31. But I also feel like too, like it's not a clear cut science in that regard, you know, just because you're the number one overall pick in any sport doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to translate to the next level, or maybe it doesn't translate in that team in that system, but you can go to a different team in a different system. So you have to develop this like eye, this knack, this, some of its gut feeling, some of its data, um, some of it's the cross-referencing of opinions, be strong in like your opinion, but also there's probably a certain amount of things you got to get right to get the respect of the others that you're pitching these players and these ideas to. And um, but I think that's the the nature of the beast is you can be the number one overall pick, you can be the fifth round pick, and you just never know. Like that's why we love sports, the unpredictability of it. One hundred percent. That's absolutely why we love sports. And 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 for us, there's it's a little less romantic because we're trying to eliminate the misses, right? Uh, but it is true. Even when I look at our draft board now, and and we just spent the past weekend at the college showcase, which is effectively the the combine um, by another name there's a ton of guys who are in that like 30, 40 range that are super interesting that you almost feel like, gosh, like I know the consensus is this and the data says this, but like, I really like that guy. And so it's a balance of, you know, that romance and that player that you really love and that you're drawn to and also saying, okay, well, we've done the critical work and we're going to trust the work that we've done and move forward. But yeah, no, I hear you 100%. I would say that's one of the harder parts of being in this role is, is you do get attached to, to players and narratives and stories and trying to remove yourself from that and, and be, uh, you know, impartial and a little bit more scientific about the process. So when you look at Minnesota United's roster and we can hit really on, on the, the decisions that were made, everybody sees that, you know, and has to be publicized <clears throat> on decisions um, after the team has missed the playoffs or, you know, everybody's time was a little bit different whenever they finished their season, those rosters needed to be announced and then by a specific date, but sort of give us the cliff notes version on how an MLS roster breaks down because I'm not sure as this let's say this tweet this email this press release comes out for every club and people are might be looking at it going well what the heck why did we you know why is this guy guaranteed why is this guy having negotiations even though we didn't pick up we declined his option whatever how does a roster break down just logistically by the rules yeah, I'm I'm writing those as you're talking because I'm trying to think of the most efficient way to break it down. So I think there's <laughs> a whole other the, podcast on that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like I I enjoy it. It's fun. I think a lot of fans enjoy it. Some don't. I think I think one of the fun things about um, a lot of our American sports is we have the salary cap system because we have uh, collective bargaining agreements and we have the National Labor Relations Act, right? So we have this unique setup. It, legally that forces us into this structure, but really it, it does make it a little bit, it, it's fun. It's a bit of a puzzle. And I was talking to an English um, executive at an English team the other day, and he was saying to me how he's a big American football fan. He's a big Arizona Cardinals fan. <laughs> and he's like really into the salary cap there. And we were working on a deal potentially. And he was like fascinated by how I was like, 
yeah, this is going to be really difficult because we have to do this, this, and this. And he was like, no, it's awesome. It's so fascinating. So, you know, there are some that are bored by it and don't like it, but I think really when you dig in, it can kind of create, I think it creates additional storylines, right? And that's what's fun about sports too, right? So uh, anyway, to, to, to get to your question, right, when we look at our roster from a roster slot standpoint, we have spots one through 20. That's our senior roster. All those roster spots count against the salary cap or the salary budget as we call it in MLS, but it's essentially a salary cap. And so your salary cap has been 5.8 million, it's gonna go up. Uh, and then on top of that, we have GAM and TAM, which everyone likes to talk, to kind of complain about the, the verbiage there, but we have approximately give or take 4 million in GAM or TAM. So when I look at that senior roster slots one through 20, what I have is approximately 6 million plus another 4 million in GAM and TAM to apply to those players' salary. So that's really the cap I'm working with for those 20 slots. Now, it, it fluctuates. You can only apply the GAM on certain players, but really we have those that big bucket of money for those 20 roster slots. Then we have slots 21 through 24. Those are players who are on the senior minimum salary. I can buy those players down using GAM as well, but ultimately those are guys who are going to be uh, either young developing players or veterans locker room guys that we have on, on that. Then I have roster slots 25 through 28 where I can put homegrowns. I can also put guys on the reserve minimum. So that's often going to be your draft pick or your homegrown player. Then I've got slots 29, 30, and actually a, a spot many people don't know about. There's a roster slot 31 where you can stick a homegrown that won't play. For example, that's where Devin Pedelford was before we put him on the roster. So from a construction standpoint, those are the slots that I have. So oftentimes we'll make a decision to say, hey, you know, this guy, we're not going to bring him back because he's on the senior roster and he's going to hit the cap. And so a fan may say, well, why didn't you bring back, for example, uh, Mender Garcia? Yeah. Mender Garcia is a player we really like as a person, an incredible guy, was a great guy to have around the building. I don't think you'd get anyone in our building that would say a negative word about him, but he's a player who was on a larger salary. And so we had to make a decision about his value to the club relative to his salary and how it hit our cap. And then we... Meanwhile, we may renew, renew a player that's on the reserve roster who didn't have as much of an impact as Mender. And the reality is that's because all those players, and, and maybe I should have said this sooner, in those roster slots, 21 through 30, don't hit our cap. So all of that money is discretionary spending. And otherwise, in other words, our ownership group chooses to spend that money on those players. It does, and it's in addition to the salary cap. So I'm not trying to maximize the spend there as much. It's already accounted for. So I'm much more likely to pick up the option of a player who's on the reserve minimum or the senior minimum on the supplemental roster than I am someone who's on a big number on the on the senior roster. How does a homegrown hit the salary cap, or what is the benefit of having a homegrown? The benefit of having a homegrown is a we get more Minnesotans on the roster. The other benefit from a financial perspective is because they hit on that supplemental roster, they're not hitting our salary cap. And so we can and we can pay them. So most guys on that supplemental roster are on the reserve minimum or are on the senior minimum. A homegrown can be above that number. And it still won't hit the salary cap. So in other words, if I with Devin Pedelford is the example that we have now that I think most fans are familiar with and, and hopefully become more familiar with in the next year uh, is a player that we can pay more than the minimum. And because he's a homegrown, he came through our academy. And to be a homegrown, you have to have been in our academy for 12 months uh, or be from our territory and on our homegrown list. But that player can earn more without affecting our salary caps. So there's a huge benefit to having homegrowns. And what I tell uh, people here internally is really the benefit in investing in our academy and developing homegrowns is 
it, it's really an incremental gain in terms of our ability to manage our salary cap. Because if I go out and pay a transfer fee for a player that's on our supplemental roster, I'm paying the transfer fee uh, and I'm paying the player. If I have that homegrown play and that transfer fee is going to hit the cap when I first pay it, if because it's going to take the player over the supplemental roster, right? So then I have to buy the transfer fee down to stash the player on the supplemental roster. So I am using GAM to get the cost down for the transfer fee. So the real benefit to homegrown players is not only more Minnesotans on the roster, right? But it's also that by not paying a transfer fee for a player that we've developed, we've made a huge gain in our ability to spend the senior roster money in other places. So when we sign young homegrown players, even if they're not playing, there's value for us in having guys that could potentially play in the role, a role in the future and that provide depth for us, but that also allow us to spend more money on big name players, senior roster players. There's no better time than the holidays to give the game to the special loons fans in your life. Everyone loves a snow opener. And with MNUFC's first five and holiday pack ticket packages, you can be there for the 2024 home opener and then some. Whether you want a spot at the first five games or just the first two, these packages give you the flexibility and security you need to make sure you don't miss the beginning of the next chapter in Minnesota United history. When you look at the roster for Minnesota United, I'm just going to run down the press release so people have an idea of what sure. we're talking yeah. about. Exercise the contract options for Kervin Ariaga, Michael Boxel, Tani Olawashe, Yosef Rosales, and Zarek Valentin. Players with guaranteed contracts for 2024. Ethan Bristow, Caden Clark, Sonny Dotson, Franco Fregapane, Bongo Clay Longwane, Clint Irwin, Sang Binjong, Robin Lud, Mikel Marquez, Devin Pidelford, Timo Puki, Emmanuel Reynoso, Dane St. Clair, Miguel Tapias, DJ Taylor, Patrick Weah, and decline contract options, Bakai Debasi, Eric Dick, Fred, Fred Emmings, Mender Garcia, Jan Gregush, Emmanuel Iwe, Ryan Jiba, Ishmael Tajuri Trotti, Cameron Dunbar, Brent Coleman, and Will Trapper out of contract, but you're in some, according to this press release, which was back on December 1st, so it's who knows where it stands now, but undergoing contract negotiations with Cam Cameron Dunbar, Fred Emmings, Ishmael Tajuri, Trotting, Will Trapp. When you look at that current roster, that's a lot of guys that are still guaranteed for 2024. That is a good, solid chunk of the roster and guys that the, the contract options were picked up. How, how are those decisions made when you're looking at the pieces of the puzzle dollar amount? You're also looking at quality of roster decisions positionally what you need and what you don't need but how how are those decisions made do you is there a bunch of people that sit in a room and go down like how how does that process work in in Minnesota United especially without having a you know chief soccer operator you know officer currently and um a head coach yeah it's a really good question uh, and I think this year was unique because of what you just said uh and the way it happens is over a number of weeks, and it really starts during the second half of the season. <clears throat> so for each player, we have a, a uh, statistical or data profile 
of physical data and on-ball on -ball value data, which is essentially what are they doing when they have the ball? And the physical data is how fast are they running? How much are they running? Those sorts of things. And for each player, we essentially have like a, a dossier or a file uh, and it gives us all that information. And then it also has their salary information um, in total, agent fee, all that. So essentially how much do they cost? What are they providing us statistically? And then we also have a technical opinion that's written up from members of our coaching staff saying, here's our perspective on the player's performance. Here's what they've done. And also our, our performance analyst <clears throat> provides input on that as well. And so we then, yeah, I mean, part of it is you get in a room and you talk about it, but also to eliminate noise and bias. This year, we had a process where everyone went through that dossier and made their own recommendation. And when I say everyone, I mean, um, Sean McCauley as head coach. I mean, Manny Lagos, who is currently our acting chief soccer officer. I mean, myself. Um, and I mean, members of our, our data analysts and other members of our staff. So a core group each made those recommendations. And then at the end of we took each recommendation and built out what the scenario after that recommendation would look like. For example, a lot of times our, our coaches understand how the, the roster mechanisms work, but when they're making those decisions, they're thinking like, will this guy, is this guy good? They're not thinking as much about often, although Sean is really adept in that space, they're not often thinking about how this will impact us financially. And so we have them make those decisions and then we show them, okay, well, here's the outcome. So you've done this and now you have zero roster spots left and you don't have any money or something. Right. Right. So right. we, we then tell everyone, okay, here's your outcome. Now go back and do it again if you want. And we did that, uh, I think four times in total mm -hmm. before where we ultimately ended up was something like a consensus. And there were really three players that were, there was differences of opinion on after we'd done that process. And then we got in a room and hashed out those three players and ended up with something we were comfortable with and, and, and proceeded with those players. This is such a tough subject. And I told, um, uh, as I was, when I was asked to do this, uh, I told our PR team, my goal is to say, to be as entertaining as possible and to say as little as possible about uh, what actually happened in some of the individual negotiations, just out of respect for the players. But that's the process we went through to, to get to where we are today. Well, and when you look at that, and that's why I think, you you know, trying to like pull back the curtain a little bit in the sense of just giving people an idea that these aren't just, I mean, these are thoughtful decisions that take time. It's not just like these, the decisions are made on a whim. There's multiple things that go into this, whether you're on the sporting side, the finance side, the legal side, and building a roster going forward, whether you have a current head coach or you don't, like it doesn't really matter. These are this is a process for every team and every club is going through that and trying to find, you know, what does that identity look for, look like going forward? What does that style look like going forward? And the fact of the matter is a lot of these guys were already under contract for 2024. So some of that, those decisions are somewhat already made unless you're restructuring some sort of contract. But when you look at then, you know, going forward and what you have to look forward to for the 2024 season, even though a lot of these decisions and these contracts are already, you know, set in, they're guaranteed. What excites you the most about 2024 when you look ahead to the prospect of what the current roster looks like, what maybe slots you're looking to fill, the additions you want to make, what money you have to, I don't want to say play with, but you know what I mean, to utilize going forward. What excites the group the most? I think what excites the group is two things. A, there's continuity, and it may not feel like it when you look at that press release, but when you break it down, what you see is we essentially bring back a starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Right. And and we bring back Timu, we bring back Ray, um, we bring Robin Ludd will be healthy. We have Hassani in the middle. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we have Bongi on the right. 
we have Fragapane available. We have we have a number of options on the left. Um, and we bring back two center backs that served us well all year. So really for us, it's we have that continuity along the spine. And can we, over this next window, and really just provide a little bit of support in, and depth in key spaces and really look to be aggressive um, coming into next summer. I, for us, we we feel like we're, we're in a position where we all, we can acquire assets um, within the league and put ourselves in a position to start the season in a really positive way while also maximizing our spending, being efficient, and giving ourselves the resources to really go out and be aggressive uh, in the near future. When you look at the way MLS is set up, we we just talked about sort of what we call the combine or what, whatever they're yeah. calling these days, the super draft, free agency, re-entry drafts, all these things. Do you guys have to also have to sort of have a consensus on where you put the most value? Because I think in every club, you can clearly tell maybe one club values interleague trades more, you know, quality in MLS veterans who've been there, done that, know the league, know the travel, know the climate change, all that kind of stuff. Some clubs that maybe value international players coming in more from elsewhere. Some teams value the, the super draft, you know, like where, where does this group, when you guys all sit down, do you have to come to a bit of a consensus on that? Or is it a little bit of each or, Hey, if, if the player fits, that's what we're going with, regardless of where they're coming from. Yeah, I think right now our focus is on getting better using the mechanisms we have within the league. I don't think that will, I think that's evolving is I think the best way to put it. You know, we have a new sporting director coming in. He certainly has a perspective on where he wants to take the club and I'll leave it to him to outline that. Sure. But what I can say with the group we have right now is we have a group with a depth of MLS experience and a belief that there is value in the league. And, and also I would say in our domestic market, meaning yep. the USL, meaning MLS Next Pro. And when you look at teams that are successful within the league, when you look at Columbus, for example, they are that they are a team that maximizes the draft. They are a team that maximizes, they have more MLS Next Pro guys on their roster than any other team. And what that allows them to do is what I talked about earlier, which is to fill in the supplemental part of their roster with good players that they've developed or that they've drafted. So then they can go maximize their spend on the senior roster. For So for us right now in the near term, the focus in our organization is how can we maximize this part of our roster so that we can go out and really really, really maximize our spending on this upper part of our roster. Well, I think the beauty of it is too, right? There's no right or wrong answer. I mean, we saw it in MLS Cup a little bit this year. You have LAFC in it again, you know, with yeah. a lot of um, international players, more maybe uh, league veterans in this last roster for, for LAFC than previously. And then you had Philadelphia Union last year, who was built differently and through their academy. And now you had Columbus Crew this year, playing against LAFC. So I think that just proves to everybody and that's part of the beauty of the roster rules and why it's sort of built in parity is because it creates this mechanism that there is no right or wrong way to build your roster and be successful. And you have to figure out with your ownership group and your staff, what works. Yeah, I agree. I think the, I, you know, there's a, there's a way to use 
MLS isn't unique, but there's a way to use the mechanisms to really find value within the league. And every, one thing all those teams have in common, whether they have international players or whether they have dom, you know, domestic players, is that they maximize the MLS mechanisms to get good players. They draft well. They make smart trades. Uh, they do the little things really well. And that's not always the most compelling and sexy narrative, but that's what our focus is on right now. We need to do the little things really well every single day. And if we do that, that allows us to make those big swings uh, just by doing the little things well every single every single day. You've been around soccer a long time. You just sort of outlined your history as a player and then, um, you know, through the ranks and then as as a, an assistant coach, graduate assistant, and now your current role. In your opinion, like how much does it even play into just um, getting the chemistry right? You know, I mean, we can talk till we're blue in the face about quality of players, money spent. You can't just go out and get a $10 million guy. It's got to be, it's got to be the right fit for the right style, for the right system. And like how, how much in your mind does that make a difference after all the locker rooms, rosters and things that you've been in around and, and witnessed? I think chemistry is critical. And I think one thing I can say about our team right now, excuse me, as I told you earlier, I'm working, working through something <laughs> here. Uh, I think chemistry is critical. And, and when you look at the guys on our roster, when you look at a Michael Boxel, when you look at a Zarek Valentin, these are guys who are our core components of our locker room. Um, and you see it in how they act every day. And so I think that puts us in a position so that when we bring players in, they understand this is the standard, not only in the work. I mean, you know, I see out my window is the practice field and it's got snow on it now. But until it snowed, Michael Boxel was out there nearly every day running 18s, doing the work. I mean, he's here doing the work. So it sets the standard in terms of the work. And then when you have a guy like Zarek, he sets the standard in terms of personality. So when folks come in, they know, look, hey, we're going to treat people the right way. Um, we're going to have a culture where everyone communicates and everyone gets along. So, yeah, I think chemistry is absolutely critical. You know, it is a challenge to say, hey, we're going to go acquire this player from this country. Uh, and certainly we meet with the player and we talk with them and we do everything we can to get to know them. But you never really know how how the chemistry is going to be until until they're in the room. Um, we do everything we can to take it into consideration, but it's it's certainly not an exact science. Well, especially when they're at, like life happens, right? I mean, some of these players are young. It's the first time out of the country, first time in the U.S., or maybe they have a family and their families are back home. And so, I mean, there's all sorts of things. This isn't just like these these guys are robots uh, making this switch and making this change. It's like real life when these guys make these moves. So a lot goes into it. When you look at the Super Draft coming up this year, what does that look like for this club at this moment? And I mean, I mean I'm not asking you to tell me who's on your board, but what does that look like for you guys heading into 2024? And how much value do you, I know we've talked about Hassani, we've talked about Dane. I mean, Chase Gasper was in that crew as well back in that time in 2019, I believe it was. So what does it look like for you guys? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm really excited about the draft and excited about the draft process. And we've done a, a ton of work on that. A, a number of guys on our, on our team, um, you know, uh, Lucas Wiley is a, uh, our scouting and data analytics coordinator. He's done a ton of work. Um, Alex DeRosa has done a ton of work in that space. And Andrew Gregor, our director of scouting. I, I feel really confident in our college scouting process. I should also say Jeremy Hall, uh, who's the second team coach, 
uh, our academy coaches who have college uh, experience, Justin Ferguson and Alex Marwecki have done a ton of work. So the, I, I feel pretty confident in saying we probably have more college scouting reports or, or damn near as many as any team in the league. So I'm really confident in our process this year. Uh, I should probably undersell uh, I'm <laughs> myself. I'm creating an expectation here that I shouldn't do. But uh, I'm really confident in our process. I'm excited about it. And, and the reason we've spent so much time on it is really simply when you look at return on investment and you look at our roster, like what what players do we have that are that are worth the most, not not just to us individually, but potentially to other teams on the market and how much we've invested relative to our investment in them. It, it's you look at guys like Dane and Hassani. Mm-hmm. The investment was a draft pick and the outcome was, you know, two incredible players who, who've really served us well. So if we can go find more players like that through the draft, we want to do so. And so we put that effort in. So we have the ninth pick um, and we have a third round pick this year. And and we will certainly be active and and looking at other opportunities um, in that space in the coming week uh, to see if we can we can acquire more talent. So, yeah, re- really, really excited about the draft. And, and uh, I, yeah, there, there's talent there for sure. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in domestic players and their value in MLS. Um, and there's also a lot of really good international players in college soccer for those that I know you do. I know you follow college soccer closely. Uh, and for others who do, um, they know that due to the rise of the homegrown player in MLS, one thing that's happened in college soccer is college uh, soccer coaches have realized, okay, I'm not always going to get the best American player. Um, you know, when you look at, for example, some of the guys who, you know, like when you look at a, a, a guy like, uh, Cato Manchin, who's a, one of our home, like he's not going to college, right. He's a, he's a player with us. So a college coach says, well, what do I do? And they just, they've gone out on the international market. So more and more that top 10, that top 20 is a lot of international players, which makes it interesting, right? Because then we have to do the analysis and do we want to use an international spot on a college player? Uh, so we'll see. It's, it's going to be a fun draft. The other thing, really, I guess the, the, the lead in the draft this year, too, that's so fascinating is this is the first year where we can draft a senior, junior or sophomore. Mm-hmm. regardless of whether they're Generation Adidas. So in the past, you had to have what was called, a, a when they still exist, the Generation Adidas deal, um, which is a deal, essentially it means the player is already signed with MLS and you can draft that sophomore and he will come out. But unless you had a Generation Adidas deal, you couldn't be drafted if you were a sophomore and junior. And now you can draft and that the league, uh, Alec Weskandarian and, and um, David Scholl at the league office have done a ton of work to kind of reframe the draft process and now it's it's exciting because we can go out and and look at a much larger market of players and try to find value with some you know guys that are sophomores or juniors that are just developing that we think could have have a lot of value in the future. So let's say on that on that point, does that mean if you if you draft a sophomore, do then they come out and they they don't go back to school, or do they? How does that work? I'm thinking of like the the hockey, right? how many guys get drafted, but then they go play college hockey and then they join their professional team. Like when their college career is done, that's not what you're talking about here. They would come out of college. Okay. So you got me like, I'm, I'm pretty solid on most sports. Uh, <laughs> I'm from Oregon hockey and not, I'm not as good <laughs> on. So like, that's the one I don't feel confident in that space. I'm just going to put the flag up right now. Uh, so I don't know hockey, but what I can say is, either or. So we could draft a sophomore and that player could choose to come out. He also could say, I'm going to stay in school Got it. and go back to college, in which case we would keep his rights all the way through his senior year. And then he could join us. So it sounds similar to what you're describing. 
Yes. Okay. And then, so if they came out as, as a sophomore, what team would they have to go into your first team? They have to be on a first team roster spot. I, either or that we could, okay. they could take a first team roster spot. We also could offer them a second team deal. Okay. Uh, Got it. Could That's be, right. a, could be either one. It just depends on the player, what they want. And certainly, you know, we'll contact college. If we're going to draft a sophomore, we're going to speak with their coach and say, okay. if they don't have an agent, for example, and say, Hey, does this player want to come out? Will he come out? What are you, you know, what are your programs needs? We want to maintain those relationships. And, and I think we have, um, you know, we have a lot of guy, guys in the building who spent time in college soccer. So we have a pretty good network there and, and we'll, we'll try to maximize the opportunity to, um, you know, take some young players that may come or may, may just be an investment that matures in college and then comes out later. Yeah, I know. I think, I feel like it's so different. I mean, I'm super old, but it was so different, you know, and, and even on the men's side in that space where, the advancement and the maturity of some of these college players from a skill set is so different when they're even in their freshman, sophomore year because of the soccer they're playing leading into that, you know, or the level they're playing at, or maybe they're already in a pro environment. Maybe they're training, you know, in some of these um, systems and the academies or the, you know, different club teams that they're even playing. It's so different now that drafting a sophomore doesn't seem that crazy as maybe before it felt like, oh my gosh, this kid's so young. He's, you know, he's not going to be ready for this. It's so different now. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I just, I think at every age, players now are better. Like when I think about myself and kids now, like it's not even close. Um, and I, it, it's like, uh, you know, it's like technology, like it doubles every 10 years. I don't know the rule exactly, <laughs> but that, that's what it's like. So when we, when I go watch a college game now, um, yeah, the level is higher. Uh, than it used to be, even without, even with a lot of the homegrowns choosing to stay in, in clubs. So yeah, I mean, if, if we're drafting a, a freshman or sophomore, that's a player that we believe, you know, could definitely have a second team impact now and could have a, a first team impact in the future. And they are so much more, so much more mature in the, the sense that they understand the environment they're coming into in almost every case. It's very rare that you you know, we, we interview all these kids at the combine and it's very rare that they haven't been in something like a professional environment. It may be a high level Academy, but like their comfort with, you know, sports science and the work that's expected of them every day is, is really high. Um, so we, you know, we expect anyone we take to be able to transition pretty smoothly into uh, our process. Well, I know there's no rest for the weary here. And I've just taken up 45 minutes of your time where you've probably got like a pile of emails that have flooded your inbox and everything else. And I know you got the draft coming up and and then we got to throw the holidays in here, which just, you know, you work right through that. I'm sure, I'm sure your wife is thrilled with that, but either way, I, <laughs> that's the nature of sports, right? You get in this bad boy and there are no, there are no days off really. There's no downtime. There's no off season. So I appreciate you taking the time. I look forward to what 2024 looks like for this club and uh, seeing what the next iteration looks like. I mean, I know it's going to be, you just laid it out. I mean, we just talked about the guys that are already under contract guaranteed for 2024. It's like the spine of that team, the core group, some of the veteran leadership that exists on that roster. Um, I think it can only mean good things going forward. And then once you get the um, chief soccer officer over here and uh, a head coach in place. I mean, I, I can only imagine um, the good things to come for this club. So I appreciate you taking the time today. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. I hope to talk again soon. Thanks you as well. Have a great day, Hank. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. 
All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sound of the Loons presented by Alina Health. And we'll catch you hopefully next week before we get into officially Christmas season. Have a great day, everybody.